Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. So this story, and I probably say this about every story that we read from Scripture. You probably are all used to that by now. It's one of my favorites in all of the New Testament. And I use portions of this story whenever uh, I preach at a funeral service. And given everything that's going on in our country and around the world with the coronavirus, I think this story is even more appropriate than normal. Death is something that we will all share in, given our common humanity. And I think that our culture is continually and increasingly uncomfortable with it. We know it's there, but we pretend like we're all going to live forever. And we treat life like we're going to live forever. We don't listen to what the psalmist told us to number our days so we may gain hearts of wisdom. And we even develop medical procedures and treatments to delay the effects of aging on our bodies. But no matter how many vitamins you eat, or plastic surgery one has, or no matter how many injection of chemicals into your face you get, the end is always going to be the same for all of us. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be healthy, we shouldn't go have medicine and... I'm not saying that, but... We treat death like it's something that's never going to happen to us. And to make matters worse, death is also our enemy, according to St. Paul, one that has been and we know will ultimately be destroyed. But we should also remember that the possibility remains for death after death. And you might be thinking to yourself, Pastor Mark, what do you mean death after death? What are you talking about? Well, we know that Jesus said expressly life after death. But we never think about death after death. Because for those who are outside of Christ, their experience of death is only the beginning of their experience of death in the age to come. And this story, brothers and sisters, is so moving because normally in a story like this, if you would hear a story, right, with a happy ending, you would begin with the beginning of life, right? And then you would progress towards death. Well, normally these stories don't always have happy endings, right? Like, you know, watch Beaches and you'll know what I'm talking about. The two best friends, they, they grow up together, they're best friends, and then the one dies at the end, and then the other one writes a hit song and makes a ton of money. But in a story like this, we begin with the beginning of life, we progress towards death. But in this story, the reverse occurs, right? We begin with sickness, we begin with sorrow, we begin with grief and death. But the story then ends with joy and with life. And so the sermon is called From Grief to Joy. Grief to Joy. Or sorry, Grief to Glory. From Grief to Glory. Because Jesus says, if you believe, you will see the glory of God. So like we heard in the reading, Jesus hears of the sickness of a very close personal friend. And so wherever he was, Jesus stays two days longer. And before he does this, he says that the sickness is not going to end in death, but that the Son of God will be glorified. Now, we know this is a little bit risky because he's in a little bit of danger right now. 
And his disciples remind him. He's like, hey, Jesus, remember when, you know, a couple days ago we were up there and you said that, you know, you were the same as the father. Remember that? And then they picked up stones to kill you. Remember? It just happened. And then Jesus passed right through them and he left because we know that Jesus has said that no one can take his life from me, but he lays it down of his own accord. His disciples remind him, hey, this is kind of a hot spot for you right now. Maybe you should not go. Maybe you should go. But we know that this isn't going to end in death because Jesus just said it, right? But it does end in death because Lazarus dies. And then Jesus tells his disciples, you know, we know the story. Lazarus is sleeping, but I'm going to go wake him up. But like I said, the disciples are thick-headed and they don't understand. So he says, he's dead, but I'm going to go there so you will believe in me. Because out of this, they will believe. Mary and Martha, will, their faith will be increased. Lazarus is certainly going to believe in him. And many of the Jews are going to believe in him as well. Probably some of the ones that took up stones to try to kill him in the previous chapter will come to believe. So Thomas replies, let's all go and die with him. You know, Thomas, he's, he's trying to flex a little bit here, right? To, to, to prop himself up. There's, there's no way Thomas is actually willing to die with Jesus if it comes down to it. And we know this because we see what happens with Thomas and all of the other disciples at the end of all of the Gospels. What happens? Jesus gets arrested and they all scatter, right? They all run away. And then Peter just kind of sneaks behind them to, and then he has his own his own moment of testing where he denies Christ three times. Right? We know that they're not going to die with Jesus. So Jesus takes his disciples. He comes to Bethany, which is a little uncomfortably close to Jerusalem for the disciples, and he finds out Lazarus has been dead for four days. So when we hear this story, we're confronted with the expectations of the people. So when Jesus finds out about his friend being sick, we said that he doesn't immediately go and heal him. And we know that Lazarus, Mary, and Martha are, are followers of Jesus and in his claims. But Jesus doesn't drop everything he's doing to leave. And also we have to realize Lazarus got sick in the first place. Lazarus is the friend of Jesus. And sickness here disrupts everything. It causes his life to be turned upside down and inside out. And it's the same for us. Sickness causes our lives to be turned upside down and inside out. It has a way of making us cut away all that does not matter and focus on what does, sometimes. And we've been seeing a lot of this right now, brothers and sisters, in our own context with, with the coronavirus and with physical, I don't like to say social distancing, I like to say physical distancing, because we're physically staying away from each other, but we're trying to still maintain social ties. And many of you are doing it through, through, through online interactions, through texts, through emails, through phone calls, and it's been a wonderful thing to see how people are still trying to remain in solidarity in spite of everything that's going on right now outside. But sickness throws everything up in the air. It causes us to make changes because we can no longer live the same way that we used to. It shatters our expectations, especially if we live with the belief that God is obligated to protect us from sickness and disease. So right now, I'm seeing all over social media and, and all over the place, from many, many, many different places, that's right, it's not just confined. A lot of people right now are rightfully reading 
and praying Psalm 91, right? That's a beautiful psalm about the protection of the Lord. It's also the psalm that Satan uses to test Jesus in the wilderness. When he brings Jesus up to the Temple Mount and he says, throw yourself down, for, it is, for the angels will bear you up lest you cast your foot against the stone. What does Jesus say? You shall not tempt the Lord your God, right? So I've been seeing a lot of interaction here with Psalm 91 and praying Psalm 91 and believing Psalm 91, and it's good and we should. But brothers and sisters, even though it says no evil will come near you, even though it says you should not fear the arrow by day or the terror that comes at night, and we should believe this and we should cling to it and hope it and pray this during time of disease. The problem comes when people take this psalm and other scriptures as a guarantee that God is obligated to do this for them. And this leads to tragedy. This leads to tragedy. The scriptures are not things we can divide piecemeal and then make claims upon God with them. Because if, when we do that, we create false expectations of our relationships with sickness and disease. St. John Chrysostom said this, Many men, when they see any of those who are pleasing to God suffering anything terrible, as, for instance, having fallen into sickness or poverty, and any other the like, are offended, not knowing that to those especially dear to God it belongeth to endure these things. Listen to this since Lazarus also was one of the friends of Christ and was sick. He makes this connection between Lazarus being the friend of Jesus and having to endure the sickness and the suffering and the death that he endured. And when us, we as the church brothers and sisters, when we experience sickness, we are also the friends of of Christ. And it might belong to us, as he says here, to endure through these things. And if you want to, <laughs> I preached on endurance a few weeks ago, you can go back and, and, and listen to that uh, online. But it's a different point of view that St. Chrysostom has to what you see coming from a lot of pulpits nowadays. And then let's talk a little bit about grief here as well. So Mary and Martha hear that Jesus is coming. So Martha goes to meet him, but Mary stays at home. And as Jesus walks up, Martha says, if you weren't here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus responds, Lazarus will rise again. Martha replies, I know he will rise again at the resurrection. Thanks a lot, Jesus. How does Jesus respond? I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. She then goes and tells Mary in private to go see Jesus. We have to remember there's a lot of mourners present, so she, that's probably why she's going to see her private. But we hear from the story that Mary leaves, and all of the mourners see her leaving, and so they think, oh, she's going to go mourn at the tomb. Let's be supportive and follow her to the tomb. So watch what happens, though, in the story. Mary goes to see Jesus, and what does she do when she sees him? It says that she fell down at her feet, weeping. She fell down at the feet of Christ, weeping. 
Lord, if you were here, he would not have died. John eleven thirty three to 37 says, Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled, and he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not the man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? And we see here in this part of the story, this expression of Mary's grief, not only verbally, but physically. The effect that that has on Jesus and the rumblings of doubt among the gathered mourners. She didn't kneel down. She didn't sit down and take his hand and say, Jesus, I'm really disappointed in you. If you weren't here, my brother would not have died. It says she fell down at his feet. She cast herself down to his feet, weeping. That's what grief does to us. As many of you know, I do part-time chaplaincy work at a local hospital. And part of what we do is support people who are in mourning. And I've been in rooms as people are in the process of dying or have just died. And when you're confronted with a sheer wave of emotion from family and friends, it's impossible to remain impassable. And this happens to Jesus because we need to remember Jesus knows them personally. He loves them. He knows them. He stayed in their home. He's eaten with them. And when confronted by this grief, how does Jesus respond? Does he respond like a robot? Everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. No, he doesn't respond like a robot. It says that Jesus wept because Jesus is not an emotionless thing floating around all over the place where the cares of this life don't get to him and hardship happening to the people that he knows and loves doesn't affect him. No, they do. They do because we understand that Jesus Christ is both fully divine and fully human. He's fully human. And when confronted with his grief, he weeps with them in his own grief. But it moves him. And then let's talk a little bit about containment when we're confronted with grief in response to it. So I'm going to tell a story, and I'm going to keep it very vague because I'm just going to keep it very vague, the details. But one of my best friends that I've known since, oh, I was, I'm 10 years old now. I'm now 43, so we've known each other a long time. He lost a, a very dear, to, a family member that he was especially close with. And so I was in Florida at the time, and I, I flew up here to Pennsylvania. And I was able to spend a few days just being there. You know, sometimes when we're confronting grief and when we're with people who are in grief, the best thing to do is to not say anything. Don't, not standing in the back like the mourners say, oh, well, he could have done something about it. Why didn't he? Blah, blah, blah. Well, if they would have just done this treatment, then the person, no, just be quiet. Be there, be supportive, be a quiet presence. I love you. I'm here for you. Do you need anything? I'll be right over here. I was able to do this and, and, and drove him around from place to place. And then the day of the funeral service happened, and you, instead of allowing that sadness and grief to be expressed, they put on upbeat praise music. Now, I don't want to be harsh here, right? Because they're trying to process this, this grief and experience this, this grief and deal with it in the best way they knew how. But there was no real room for the expression of grief. 
in that service. And brothers and sisters, this is troublesome because when we do not express our grief, it can stunt our healing. And, and it's common nowadays to see services of celebration of life rather than a, a funeral service because we have to put on a happy face. We have to put on a tough face, a stoic face. It's almost as if we have to artificially contain our grief. But Mary weeps openly at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus weeps with her. Because like I said, he's not an unfeeling automaton. He's not, you know, he's not an emotionless Vulcan, right? He's human and divine. In the face of death, Jesus responds in grief at the loss of his friend and the sadness of those around and in our own times of struggle and in our own grief at our own losses, we know Jesus is right there weeping with us and holding us because he knows the pain of humanity and he knows death and the separation that death brings to one another. Now we've talked about grief and expectation. Let's, let's get to the, the good part. Let's talk about glory. Specifically, glory revealed. So Jesus still moved, he arrives at the tomb and he tells them to take the stone away. Now Martha objects because the body has been dead for many days and is now stinking. But Jesus says, remember, I told you, if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they listen and they remove the stone. And then Jesus lifts up his head and he prays to the Father. And he does this so those who are gathered with him at the tomb will believe in him. And then he cries out, Lazarus, come out. Or come forth, I think it says in the King James. And we see the glory of God here on full display because what happens? Lazarus walks out of the tomb alive once more. Dead for four days. He's now alive. I heard somebody say once that Jesus had to say, Lazarus, come forth, because if he had just said, come forth, then all of the dead in that tomb would have also come out. This is the power of God. And Lazarus is bound in burial clothes, and Jesus tells them, unwrap him from those grave bindings. And this is an interesting detail here in the story, right? Because this isn't a fake resurrection, right? They're not putting this on. He is fully wrapped in burial shrouds, right? He's bound tight. And what is the result of this? Many people witnessed it, and many people believed in him especially his disciples, right? Especially Mary and Martha, especially Lazarus. And Jesus enacts this miracle to show that he has the power over life and death and that those who are dear to him, even though they may have to endure suffering, as Chrysostom noted earlier, even those who are his friends, even those who are in him who suffer, we have nothing to fear from death because our death ends in glory. Not in grief, but in glory. Specifically, the glory to come. Lazarus came out of the tomb wrapped in the shroud of death, but he is unbound and released into life. St. Paul wrote that those who have been baptized into Christ have what? Put on Christ. Right? This imagery of clothes. And as he says in Romans, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and you remember to God as instruments for righteousness. So, brothers and sisters, we are clothed in Christ instead of the robes of sin and death. We have been liberated from them. And even though we will encounter death once again, because of Jesus, because we have believed in him, 
we will hear his voice and we shall live. And we heard that in the reading from Ezekiel 2, the valley of the dry bones. The bones are prophesied to. And what happens? They come back together. The sinew grows, the muscle grows, the skeleton regrows, flesh comes upon them, and then the spirit of life gets blown into their lungs and they become healed and whole and they pass from death to life. This is what Jesus is doing here with Lazarus. The breath of life is re-entering his lungs and the glory of God is bringing life out of death. St. Paul wrote in Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. And I say that to you, brothers and sisters, today, that the suffering that we experience right now, whether it be coronavirus, whether it be the people out there who are watching struggling with cancer or lupus or fevers or flus, whatever it is, whatever it is that we suffer, whatever it is that we endure, it is not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. That the glory of God, that the Holy Spirit that has been given to us as followers of Jesus Christ will end with our glorification and not with our eternal separation. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who alone has the power over life and death. Be all glory together with his Father who is from everlasting and is all holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Be sure to check us out online, zionstoneucc.com or on our Facebook page, ZionStoneUCC. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you want to get a hold of me, shoot me an email at malandsman at gmail.com or through our social media page, like I just mentioned. If you could take a couple minutes, we would appreciate it if you went to a GoFundMe we've set up, gofundme.com slash SaveZionStone, in order to donate towards some big repairs that we need to have done to the church. So if you could donate anything, we would greatly appreciate it. If you're in the area, come worship with us. Our services are at 1015 and our Sunday school is at 9 a.m. Thank you so much again for listening. May God bless you.